Guy here from the Blood Red team. Hope you're all well and sorry to interrupt, but we just got a quick message for you before you get on with the episode that you're listening to. And while we don't have any football right now, here at Blood Red, we have got our own transfer news to let you know about. From now on, our podcast channel will be hosted on the Global Player app. Well, what does that mean? Well, don't worry. If you listen to us on any other platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, that's fine. But to get our pods quicker than anywhere else, you might want to download the Global Player app as our pods will be on there before they're released on any other player. The Global Player app is available to download on iOS and the Google Play Store or wherever it is you get your apps from. You can also find them at globalplayer.com. That's all from me. I'll let you get back on with the episode that you're expecting to hear. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to Friday's Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark and alongside me three of my finest colleagues, I say that, any three which do show up. But we're back once more for the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast and we've plenty to get through. We're going to talk about the latest from the Premier League after tentative discussions as to when football could return for the Premier League. As well as that, we're going to get into the latest from the EFL as well as they've come out with their own stunts. Liverpool FC former chief executive Rick Parry, the man in charge there these days. We're also going to discuss what could have happened in the summer of 2004 had Jose Mourinho, not Rafael Benitez, taken over at Anfield before in the second half of this week's podcast. We're going to get into an ultimate Liverpool FC World Eleven from the Premier League era. The criteria will be mapped out shortly indeed. But before too long, I best get in to the guys joining me on this edition. Our Liverpool correspondent Paul Gorst is with us. Gorsty, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, just praying and hoping for a for a return f- to football, but it doesn't appear on the horizon, does it? So, uh, so we crack on. No, I'm more praying for a return to the office because by then <laughs> Theo Squires may have had a shave. Theo, how are you, mate? <laughs> I won't bank on it, mate. It's going along quite nicely. I'm good, cheers, though. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all, thanks. Um, probably getting to a stage of needing a haircut, what's left of it. <laughs> Matt Addison, how are you? Yeah, very good, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm slightly in need of a shave myself. If uh, if I knew I was going to be on the podcast today, I might have done that this morning. <laughs> great stuff, great stuff. But uh, yeah, we'll get straight into the Premier League stuff then. And of course, as you say, they're sort of hoping for the return. The Premier League... We knew they were meeting today. We weren't really sure what was going to come of it. The headline mm. really is, the news is there's not really any news. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. no news is, is good news from a Liverpool perspective. I think, once again, they just reiterated this desire that there would be a conclusion and a finale to this Premier League season. So there's no talk of nulling and voiding and cancelling and all this talk that so many of, of Liverpool's rivals want to see. Um, so, so that, I suppose, is a good thing. Seems to be a collective resolve now among the, the the twenty teams to get it over the line and, and get it done and dusted and and you know just basically have a a real fitting finale to the season rather than just curtailing it now because of um, a pandemic which we all hope will start to subside over the next weeks and months. So it's um, yeah, it's uh, as you say, there wasn't a whole lot in there, but as I say, no news. Is good news from from a Liverpool perspective. Um, so it's it's just a case of seeing what happens in the next few weeks, and hopefully we do start to see a dropping in the number of recorded cases on a daily basis for the for COVID nineteen, and we can start to maybe have a little think about when 
the actual date might be that football can return. Yeah, I think this week actually, this week midweek marked five weeks. I think it was since the Atletico Madrid game. It seems it seems so much longer than that, Theo. But we heard before the the meeting today that there were a few whispers that there were clubs who were going to want a bit of a harder cut off for the 30th of June. That seems as though that was all whispers beforehand because it doesn't even seem to really have been mentioned. I suppose it's the fact that you can't really make a decision yet when everything's so much up in the air. Um, it wouldn't have helped that in Scotland was in that Dundee, I think it was, of U-turns or Dundee United, one of those two. So their league is now over and leagues elsewhere seem to be sterner with making decisions right. We're just going to end it now. But Premier League teams, whilst you've got these whispers, their stance has always, at least publicly, been we need to get the season done. And I think it's all very well that um, they're saying, oh, let's null and void the season now so then we can have next year. We can do next year and start that on time. But who's to say the league would be even be in a position to start on time next year? You can't end the current campaign just on the off chance that we're all ready and fine to go again in August. It's quite baffling, really. But whilst the, everything's still up in the air, um, lockdown's been extended, you can't really be in a position to make a decision saying, yes, football is going to be ready to be concluded by the end of June. Yeah, it is. It is a weird one, but we've got the the issue with the contract uh, and all sorts like that. Obviously, from a Liverpool persuasion, that doesn't really come into the fold. Yes, Adam Lallana is going to be leaving the club, but that's really all that it is to it, Matt. But there is obviously that growing feeling, I suppose, from clubs further down the table. Bournemouth, for example, we have Harry Wilson. He's their top scorer, I still believe. And uh, yeah, they're going to want to make sure that they keep him. But financially, if they go down, the extra bit of money they spend on keeping him on board might actually be money that they didn't really want to have spent beforehand. Yeah, I mean, that that obviously is something that would need to be looked at and, and thought about. But I think, you know, we, we've already seen in the last couple of weeks that FIFA are starting to put into place regulations and, and sort of things to help that out. So I just think at, at this moment in time, the the priority just has to be to sort of find a, a best way of doing it. I don't think there is an ideal way or a way that every club will agree with. I think we've known that for, for the past four or five weeks since we stopped. So it's it's almost like a, a best of, of the worst case scenario, isn't it? Because, you know, at some stage, someone is going to disagree with, with whatever happens ultimately. And, you know, whether that's for financial reasons, whether that's for sporting reasons is is kind of the debate that you've got to weigh up. I think the, the money side of it, as you say, is always going to play a big part of it but as much as a club like Bournemouth might say well you know it, it's going to cost us a little bit extra to keep Harry Wilson and, and there's other clubs in similar positions I think there's equally a lot of clubs like Sheffield United who might say well financially it's going to be a massive hit for us because we might get into the Champions League so you know there's always two sides to, to every story and, and finances are going to be I think the, the biggest thing to determine what happens next but you know the, there's no easy solution let's put it that way. Is one thing that could have happened, perhaps, Gorsty, that fans were in some way put out of their misery of knowing that this season is going to get concluded behind closed doors? Because guys like us on podcasts and, and all sorts we hear a lot of the time, well, we're likely to see this season end behind closed doors. Rick Parry from the EFL has written an open letter as the chief executive today saying that that delivering a successful conclusion to the season remains our goal. But at which point that you, talking to supporters, will be able to attend games again remains unclear. Perhaps the Premier League could have taken off that lead, could they not? And, and actually given us some sort of formal declaration. Gorsley can't hear you. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll get pulled back. Theo, I don't know if you want to take that one on and, and Gorsley will hopefully be back with us quite quickly. 
Uh, yeah, I think we've gotten to the stage now where fans, they just want to see the teams play football again. Like you sort of accepted the fact that it is going to have to be behind closed doors. And it, I suppose this is the first time officially someone said, yes, this is going to be what's happened. Um, the Premier League, they probably should have come out and made it a joint statement like we've seen all the way along. But I suppose things are a bit different with the EFL just because there's not quite as much TV money with them. You've not got Sky and BT broadcasting every single game. It's not as much of a hit on the clubs themselves, you know, carrying on. Like if it, some of the leagues in England did get non-void of the professional leagues, it's going to be League One and League Two that needs to stand aside. Whereas the Premier League with those finances, they can afford to keep on going. And it's more watching these games. But with the games behind closed doors, I think there's been whispers that they might just make every single Premier League game on put that all on TV. I think FIFA have already announced that they've scrapped the 3pm window, haven't they, for games not being televised. So there's there. I think they're just keeping their options open at the moment, really. Yeah, certainly. Gorsley, can you hear us now? Can we hear you? No, we still can't hear him, unfortunately. I don't know what it is, Gorsley. We can, we can, we can see you. We can see your mouth moving. But unfortunately, at the minute, we, we just can't quite hear you. Hopefully... Uh... Hopefully you'll, you'll get that sorted sooner rather than later. But Matt, then, on the, the issue with the EFL then, the fact that they are saying, obviously, at what point fans being able to attend games remains unclear. I suppose that, if next season does happen... Gorsley, I think you're back, are you? I think he, uh, we could hear some rustling there. It might just be the big man. But Matt, in terms of fans, <laughs> even if we get into next season, we're not even sure if next season, if it would start in August or September, if fans even by that stage would be allowed back. No, I mean, I think the the likelihood from what you read at the moment is that, that fans won't be back at that stage. I think, you know, the first few months of next season could be behind closed doors as well. And, and that pretty much underlines why it would be a ridiculous situation to, to null and void this season when there is that uncertainty over next season as well. And, you know, it, it just sort of further underlines the point that, you know, as much as some clubs might, you know, not have a great deal to play for this season. There's no guarantee that, you know, come the start of next season, when that certainly wouldn't be the case, you know, everyone starts at zero again, you know, everyone then will have something to play for. And what if it gets stopped again? You know, we, we've seen, you know, various medical bits of advice saying that the coronavirus might go away during the summer when the temperatures get higher and then come back maybe next winter. You know, it, there's so many things that you would have to account for. So I think, you know, it, it just goes to show really that the priority has to be this season because, you know, like you say, with fans, with medical facilities, with everything going on at the moment, what's to say that, you know, in 12 months' time, we could all be sat at home again in a very, very similar situation. And Gorsty, you could hear us all along. Welcome back, comrade. I think we can hear you now. But yeah. Theo, Theo said before about, obviously, how the, the EFL and how things are getting done. Rick Parry in this open letter effectively saying that they're looking into solutions in terms of games all being broadcast. Theo did mention that the three o'clock window may well have to, to get scrapped. But they're either going to be broadcast through partners. We know the Premier League, BT Sport and Sky Sports in, in the UK, certainly. But otherwise, it might be in-house. I just wondered if even that encroaches on sort of a job like yourself that you do. You go to the games, you go to a press conference. We've seen press conferences for, say, the government done over video link. Could there be a time where journalists have to watch the game from home? And then after the game, we might even see press conferences in a similar nature. Like a, a virtual mix-up would yeah. be really strange, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah the well, player has I to think... just stay on a treadmill whilst talking to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um... I think I think the television aspect is the key reason why there is such a resolve to finish this season because if you look across the 20 Premier League teams now, who who are the teams who 
want to finish here for sporting reasons. Liverpool, obviously, the three teams in the relegation zone, um, they'd obviously back themselves to try and fight their way out of that. But they probably like the season to be null and voided because it means that they stay up automatically. Maybe Leicester because they're currently in the Champions League spots. Wolves, Sheffield United, and then the rest of them have basically just meandered. So I think the only reason, or the main reason, the teams want the league finished, want it to be concluded properly, is because of the reported 800 million or 760 million, I think it is, that would be owed to Sky and, and BT if the season isn't concluded. You know, the TV rights have already been paid out. There's still 92 tough light matches to play with the bulk of them scheduled to be on the, on the TV. So. Um, I think that is why clubs are so determined to finish it off. And if that means playing it behind closed doors, then obviously the fans, as ever, are, are merely an afterthought. Sadly, that happens so so many often. You see it with the TV scheduling where, you know, say, for example, Southampton fans are being asked to go to Newcastle on, on a Monday night or a Wednesday night. And or fans... Liverpool fans being asked to go to Leicester at 8pm on yeah, Boxing Day. Liverpool went to play Brighton later this season on a Monday night. You know, you, you can't actually go much further. Um, so I think it is generally down to the fact that so much money would be owed if this season doesn't get completed. There's talk of Burnley, if the situation stays the way it is, they haven't got enough money to last until August. Burnley are a bit of a stable club in the Premier League, now, aren't they? they have been for, for a good you know, five or six years, I think. So uh, if a club like that are struggling that badly, then um, this money is what is going to keep them going. So they're, go- they're going to have to finish the season. And if that's behind closed doors, then... Unfortunately, so be it. It would appear to be the attitude. Yeah, and Rick Parry issuing that open letter to EFL members on the 132nd anniversary of the, the Football League being founded. I believe Burnley were a founding member of the Football League. So, as you say, they're a club as historic as that, perhaps looking as though they, they could go to the wall. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from all of that stuff. But staying slightly with the Rick Parry, Rick Parry element, and Theo, back in the summer of 2004, Rafael Benitez came in as Liverpool manager, but it could have been so different. The special one could have come in. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? We've heard these whispers every so often that the job would have been between Mourinho, it would have been between Benitez. And I think former players have come out and said they had conversations with Parry. They knew these were the two contenders, of the likes of Jamie Carragher, Stephen Gerrard, Danny Murphy. But Liverpool always seemed to be leaning towards Benitez. Um, I think Liverpool fans of a certain age, well, most of us, all of us who watch this, will be remembering um, Liverpool getting absolutely battered by Valencia in the Champions League in 2002-2003. Um, Liverpool played him in a couple of friendlies as well. And Valencia always looks so impressive. Like You can list off some of their star names from that era, like Pablo Aymar. They're just so many good players. and They're a good team to watch. They obviously won the Liga. And Benitez, he grabbed the eye. And then Mourinho, he's gone and run down the touchline with Porto. Uh, knocking out Manchester United, went on to win the Champions League, and they were the two hot managers at the time. Uh, and it always seemed like Benitez was the fit for Liverpool, whereas uh, Mourinho was the fit for Chelsea. And we've just assumed that both clubs went their separate ways, got the managers they wanted, they were happy with the targets. Chelsea ended up winning the Premier League, Liverpool ended up winning the Champions League. Everyone's happy. But then this new book that's come out, or is coming out, it's claimed that Liverpool actually made an offer to Mourinho. He'd agreed to take over his manager, but they asked for them to wait until Julier had left the club. And in that time, Chelsea swooped in and uh, got him to agree for a better deal there. So, weird one. Yeah, and Gorsley, with Mourinho obviously going to Chelsea and the rivalry that then built up between Liverpool and Chelsea, I suppose thinking now of Jose Mourinho being the Liverpool manager probably doesn't quite sit right, does it? 
No, I couldn't ever imagine a scenario where Jose Mourinho is, is manager of Liverpool. But yeah, it, it, it nearly happened, didn't it? In, in 2004, when uh, it, was, it was certainly Benitez and Mourinho were the emerging coaches of Europe, weren't they? Benitez had won the league a couple of years earlier with Valencia, finally knocking Real Madrid and Barcelona out the way, and then doing it again later that summer in, in 2004. So he was probably the highest rated coach in Europe, and then Mourinho had gone and won the UEFA Cup in 03, and then the Champions League a year later. So those two were, were two of the hottest properties around. So Liverpool, I mean, they scraped into the Champions League on, on the, the, the last week of the season when Newcastle got beat by Southampton. Um, Liverpool weren't, weren't great at all that season, but somehow managed to, to sneak into the Champions League and were probably fortunate, something I've written this week actually, probably fortunate to be able to command a, a manager of, of Benitez's ilk and of Mourinho's ilk at the time because um, they were a long way off challenging you know, the likes of Arsenal and United for the title. So, um, yeah, they, they, they did did well to get it together. I mean, certainly made the right choice, you know, looking back uh, in hindsight. It wasn't the greatest first season in the Premier League, but all that was forgotten when Liverpool went and won the Champions League in, in May 2005, which is obviously coming up to the 15-year anniversary of that. So, um, yeah, as for the Ozers, I think both teams were, were happy with their choices. Yeah, certainly, Matt, and I suppose formative years for you supporting Liverpool and everything, all under Benitez. Glad that it wasn't under Mourinho. While Benitez may not have played the most open and expansive of football, he did, of course, bring the likes of Fernando Torres to Anfield. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, in terms of style at times, you you both put them both into the same category of, of being defensive. But I think it's more off the pitch that, you know, Liverpool have, have benefited from, from Rafa Benitez being the kind of character that he is. And, you know, I think he would sit certainly, certainly with me more comfortably. And I think with most Liverpool supporters from that time, I think... You know, it, to have somebody as abrasive and aggressive as Jose Mourinho wouldn't really fit in with the the way that the club is run. And it's interesting because I'm I'm pretty sure I'm writing saying that that Barcelona looked at, at Jose Mourinho at one point as as being a potential candidate for for their you know main job there, um, and ultimately decided that you know it, it would be too much of a risk because of the things that he says in public and the sort of way that he behaves. And you'd imagine that, that Liverpool would think along those same sort of lines. You'd imagine that they'd, you know, have those sorts of values, you know, fairly high up in terms of the short list of, of qualities that they would look at. So, yeah, it, it, it is a surprise, but I suppose it's more of a surprise looking back at, at the way it's sort of panned out ever since. Maybe at that time, Jose Mourinho wasn't quite as, you know, as, as moody and, and gloomy as, as at times he has been since then. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, and certainly I think history would have played out very differently. But you know, who who knows what would have happened? Maybe Liverpool wouldn't have got that Champions League under the bag in, in that first season. Maybe they would have won the Premier League instead. So, you know, it, look, we'll we'll never know. We can only speculate. But yeah, certainly things would have panned out very differently. I find it quite interesting because if you look at how the two managers had their setups, that Chelsea team. It was very good. Like they played some nice football with like I had Robin Damien tough on the wings and Mourinho was basically given an open checkbook to go and sign who he wanted. Like he got Didier Dropper in and he's probably one of the best strikers we've seen in the Premier League in the last ten years, fifteen years. And then they've just gone on and dominated football. Like it's all very well saying, Oh, Mourinho's parked the bus and he's had some ugly teams in recent years. But that Chelsea team was sensational early on. Back to back Premier Leagues, I think record low for conceding goals. And all this about Mourinho, he wouldn't have been the right fit for Liverpool because he's loud and all this, the attitude. Well, Jurgen Klopp's similar, but with a smile. 
I think Mourinho was loved by the media when he came through. And it was only when media finally met Klopp in 2012, 2013, when he was doing it with Dortmund and he had such charisma that Mourinho was sort of losing that appeal. Like, because he was Mujir, he'd give them a bit of lip. Whereas when he first came through, he was viewed the very same way. It's just interesting how it's all changed as we've gone along because it's not as though Benitez was someone who was always laughing and joking with the press either. They've just got certain ways. Um, but it's one way you can't say Benitez would have been great for Chelsea or Mourinho would have been great for Liverpool. Because Mourinho, he did a great job at Porto. They were never expected to win the Champions League, same as Benitez did with Liverpool. But it's impossible to imagine Mourinho going and knocking out, say, Juventus with the likes of Anthony Latalak, Igor Bishkan, Jimmy Traore, then going and winning that final after being 3-0 down and all that. He's very loyal to his players. He's very loyal to the fans. So there were elements there that could fit. But the same as Benitez, he's always wanted a team where he could go and spend whatever he wanted, bring in every any player he wanted, and he would have had that at Chelsea. It's a very interesting sliding doors moment for both of them. Yeah, certainly very, very interesting indeed. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, for the second half of this edition of the Blood Red Podcast, as mentioned at the top, we're going to go through an ultimate Liverpool FC World Eleven from the Premier League era. You may well have seen these going round on social media. Jamie Carragher, I think the man who came up with the idea, Stephen Gerrard's also had a, had a go. They've set up World Elevens where they can only have one player per nationality, but those players can't have played together. Obviously, from a Liverpool perspective, that doesn't quite work for us. So we're taking off that caveat. But what we are adding, we are making it so you can only have three players of the current squad We've all selected a team. We're going to go through the team. Obviously, Blood Red, we so often do do team selections, but five weeks without football, we've not had chance to do one. So, Gorsi, I know you've been itching to uh, to go through a team selection on Blood Red, so we're going to go through one. Rules being only one player per nationality in the side and only three players maximum of the current squad. We'll list the contenders and we'll sort of all plump for who we've gone for. The goalkeeping position, I suppose, right from the top, it's probably one of the, the hardest to go for. Yeah, uh, I was weighed up going with Alison Becker, but um, that means I, I might have had to have lost one of my three outfield players from this current squad. Simon Mignolet played 200 games for Liverpool. I don't think he's as um, bad as some fans like to make out. I thought he was dependable for, for a couple of years. But I've gone with Jay to do that. Um, Poland, obviously. Not too many other polls knocking about for Liverpool. Won the Champions League with Liverpool. Was man of the match in the League Cup final in 2003, I think. So um, he's my pick. Yeah, he's a strong contender. I have to say he was very high on the list that I had written down as well. Theo, one name that Gorsi hasn't mentioned there is Pepe Reina. Yeah, Pepe Reina is a contender, but I think the issue with Reina is he's Spanish. And Liverpool are fortunate to have had so many good Spaniards over the years. The obvious two are Fernando Torres and Xavi Alonso, but you can think of Avaro below if you wanted him at right back, Luis Garcia. They've always had these good players. And I think um, you, you messed us over a bit with this because you only dropped this three-player rule just before we went on air. <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I'll put Alisson in goal, it's fine. But no, Liverpool have picked up with the goalkeepers and I'm sure we'll get along to it as we go along and we choose our three players. You either have one of the three as the best goalkeeper in the world or the best centre-back in the world. And it, I'm guessing from Gorsley, has gone for the best centre-back. I'm the same. Uh, we'll see what Matt says. So are you going with Dudek as well in goal? Yeah, it's just it's the easy one. He's won the Champions League. There's no other polls. I'm, I might change my mind at the end if I realise I've got a spare one going, but it's Dudek at the moment. Right, I have to say, I, I actually initially had 
pump for, for Reina. I'm going to actually stick with Pepe Reina. Matt, what are you saying? Yeah, I'm going with Pepe Reina as well. I know Theo's mentioned a, a few Spaniards, but having uh, mapped out my team on my notepad down here, I think I think my Spanish pick is going to be Reina because there's uh, a fair few midfielders. So unfortunately, Xabi Alonso has to miss out at, at Pepe Reina's expense. Yeah, Pepe Reina, a man with 285 Premier League appearances. Jersey Dudek, though, still well over 100, 127 for him. Well, let's move into the defence then. Are we all going with back fours or is somebody going to uh, go early Premier League era Liverpool back three? Oh, it's a, it's a four. It's actually a four-two-three-one, man. Well, that's four, fancy. Three, three. And that what four two three one for me as well. I've gone four three three as well. So we are getting a few splits arriving <laughs> along the place. Right, let's go into to right back then because I think the two fullbacks are probably where, with all due, all due respect, probably the less quality of the previous eras. Obviously, Trent Alexander Arnold and Andy Robertson at the moment in those positions. But come back round the other way, Matt. Who have you gone for as your right back? Um, right back, I've gone for Steve Finnan. Um, I think just mainly because of the nationality, obviously, there's been a few different right backs. Uh, Glenn Johnson was a, a decent player for Liverpool and, of course, Trent Alexander-Arnold at the moment. But I think, you know, to to get another Englishman into the side in a different position. Which, I wonder who. I'm sure, I'm sure you can probably guess who that might be. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm going to go with Steve Finnan. Theo? Yeah, with the right backs, it's thinking back. Quite a lot of them are English. Just going all the way back, like right back to uh, Rob Jones, Glenn Johnson... Trent Alexander-Arnold now. Um, so it comes down to the two nationalities that are a bit different. Stephen and one, but I'm going to go for Marcus Babel. I'm a bit older than that, so I can remember him at his plump a bit more. And if it wasn't for Onis, he would have been a great servant for Liverpool for a bit longer. And he was a quality player. He was astonishing in the treble season. So he, he gets my vote. Thought for a moment then you were going to say Jason McAteer. Gorsty, are you <laughs> going with McAteer? <laughs> No, uh, I've got over the same one as Matt, um, Stephen, and I love, love Trent, but again, we can only have three from from the current side, I, I love everything that, that Trent stands for, but he's, I've got three in ahead of him, so I've gone with Finnan, uh, although Marcus Babel is a, is a very, very good shout, um, I haven't used any other German, so he could have easily slotted in, um, not a not a, a typical fullback, as in the way the game looks at fullbacks now, he was very much a, a functional Centre back who could who play that right back if you like, but um, he'd have had a. I mean, he already did have an excellent career for that 2001 season, but unfortunately, was struck down with, with Gillian Barr syndrome and and never really reached those heights again. But a fantastic player, he was great, uh, great free transfer. Yeah, certainly come from Bayern Munich, and I have to say, Theo, I've I've got a German elsewhere in my team that I was very much contemplating. So that's another split <laughs> split decision there for me because I'd completely forgotten about Marcus Babel. The other player I was going to mention was Alvaro Arbeloa, who came in. Obviously, Rafa Benitez brought him in, and again was a very solid and functional part of the the team for Rafa. Anyway, centre halves. We'll we'll go as a pair straight away here. Theo, you've not gone first yet, so up up to you, mate. Your two centre-halves. This one's going to be unanimous. It's going to be Virgil van Dijk and Sammy Hoopje. Um I'm not putting Van Aldem or Kout in. Van Dijk is the best Dutchman, so he's in. And then Sammy Hoopje. Well, it was a choice of him or Daniel Agger. Agger had his injury problems. Sammy Hoopje is a Liverpool legend. He was at the club for so long, won so many trophies, so many big moments. Easy choice, those two, for me. And they're just so dominating, aren't they? Like The fact that Van Dijk's got the bitter pace as well, it would be such a scary partnership to come up against be so solid was anyone tempted here to I know we've obviously got Steven Gerrard to come but go for Liverpool's most appearance 
maker in the Premier League, Jamie Carragher, the man who whose idea we're basically ripping off here, or <laughs> did everyone stay clear of Carragher? Yeah, I mean, I, I gave Carragher a, a thought. 737 appearances for Liverpool, um, incredible saving. Played pretty much in every position, didn't he, before settling in as a, as a centre-back. And that 2004-05 season, he was probably one of the best in Europe. I think that kind of goes under the radar a little bit, how good he was as a, as a centre-back for a good three, four, five years. Um, but I think even without any kind of restrictions, that's still be naming Sammy Hippier and, and Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk is, is the best defender I've seen at Liverpool. It's going to be some player to ever uh, be better than him, I think, as a, as a centre-half at Anfield. So it's got to be him. And uh, Hippier is a little bit of a hero man as well. Well, nearly. Theo said I, I put on the, the three-player rule before we went on air. I very nearly went harsher and when they had to have played 100 Premier League games, of which Virgil van Dijk's only made 81 just now. But had he not made it, Matt, who else would you have had in the thinking? Yeah, certainly. Uh, Jamie Carragher was one that, that crossed my mind and, and Daniel Agger as well was one that, that popped into my head. I used to like him a lot. But uh, yeah, the, the two that I went with was was Van Dijk and was, was Hippier. I just, I just think you've got to... Got to put Van Dijk in there. I think certainly the best defender in the, the Premier League era for Liverpool. So he goes in and then obviously Sammy Hippie was a fantastic defender and, and comes with the added benefit of, of being from Finland. So there we are. <laughs> I, I take it at left back, we've either got another Scandinavian or a Scott. Matt, come to you on who you've gone for as your left fullback. Yeah, um, I've gone with John Arnorisa, um purely because of the, the three-player rule. I would have loved to have stuck Andy Robertson in there because you know, I do think he is a much better player. But I think you know, Risa had some good moments for Liverpool, and in order to uh, to fit the likes of Van Dijk and a couple of others in, I've I've had to pick somebody who's not playing at the moment. And th- there's not been too many brilliant left backs for for Liverpool over the the last few years. Of course, that was a a problem until you know until very recently, until Robertson came in. So. It wasn't uh, an easy pick, but yeah, John Arnorisa had some some big moments for Liverpool and was an important player, so that's who I've gone with. Could smash a free kick as well, notably against United, Gorsty. Who have you gone with at left-back? Uh, well, you probably need to toast to pick the amount of bad left-backs that Liverpool have had in the <laughs> Premier League era, um, and you probably count on one hand the amount of, of decent ones they've had. Um, I haven't actually got a Brazilian in mind, so I was tempted to pick Fabio Aurelio, but to be honest, I don't really remember Fabio Aurelio. I think he's more of a he's more of an ideal. He's more of a concept than he is an actual footballer. He, he was perennially injured, and okay, he was neat and tired, and he looked good on the ball. But I can never really remember much of what he did, other than a goal against Chelsea and a goal against uh, Manchester United. So I've gone with John Arnorisa, who played for six years or so, six seven years, uh, won plenty of trophies in that time. So it's uh, it's got to be him. Yeah, 234 Premier League appearances for Risa. I've got him in my team. Theo, are you going to make it a clean sweep? Um, well, I did consider a different Scandinavian, and that was Stigby Ornaby, going back to the mid-90s. Just because um, before Trent and Robertson came along and made these sensational assist returns, he was the original one, but that was more in a 3-5-2. He had, I think it was 96-97 when he was just incredible, and he set the record at the time then for getting assists. But I don't quite remember him playing, so I couldn't really justify a decision choosing that just because of little clips I've seen on YouTube or season reviews or whatever. Um, John Arnorisa, yes, he was there for so long, but he was better in midfield than he was a defender. And it still hurts that Chelsea own goal. So as much as Aradio had his injury problems, I loved him as a player. He was so classy, so good on the ball. If he'd stayed fit, he'd probably be one of Liverpool's best left-backs before Robertson came along. 
So just to be different, I'm going to go Aurelio. And like Gorsi, didn't have a Brazilian in. So you've got to have a Brazilian, don't you? Liverpool have got this relationship with Brazilians now. You can't ignore them. Don't care. Yeah, Fabio. Yeah, not like you to be different, Theo, just for the sake of it. But Never. No, exactly. We, we go on. <laughs> I, I thought for a moment when you said I've gone different, I thought you were going to go Andrea De Sena, But uh, thankfully you didn't, mate. We'll move into the I midfield. I not either, though, so you never know. Oh, <laughs> we move into the midfield. Uh, we've all gone with a three-man midfield in some way. So let's start with our purely, I suppose, destructive, deepest number six, as we call them these days. Gorsty, you're up first. Javier Mascherano just edges out Didi Haman. Um, both were top-class holding midfielders, but um, just think Mascherano for a good couple of years was, was arguably the, the best in that role in, in world football. And it really does seem bizarre when you think he was kicking about on West Ham's bench at one point, wasn't he, before he come to Liverpool. Um, Liverpool paid a fair whack to, to bring him to Anfield as well at the time. I think it was around about £18 million, which wasn't shy off the record he paid for Torres in 2007. So... Uh, just shows you how highly Benitez thought of him and um, he, he paid, paid Liverpool back. He was a big part of the team that went to the final in, in 2007 and um, a big part of the team that finished second in 09. So uh, it's got to be Mascherano, just ahead of Haman. And with no Brazilian, you weren't tempted on Fabinho or did the, the three-player rule get you there? Three-player rule, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately for you. Well, I'm the opposite way around, actually. I've gone for Didi Haman over... Javier Mascherano, just because for me, Mascherano was, was brilliant at Barcelona. He was great at Liverpool, but Didi Haman was, was was a brilliant player. Matt, who have you gone for? Yeah, I've gone with Mascherano. I think, obviously, the, the destructive element of his game was, was something that you know stands out. But the fact that he went on and played for Barcelona for so long shows just how good he was on the ball as well. And, and some of his, his passing ability was, I think, a little bit underrated because maybe you compare him to Xabi Alonso, who he, he played alongside. So, yeah, I've gone with, with Javier Mascherano and... Yeah, the same as Gorsty, you know, if uh, if I could have picked Fabinho, then I would have done. But unfortunately, three players in the team. So, yeah. And Theo, have you gone Momo Sissoko? <laughs> no, I've gone Mascherano as well. Um, like the others, Fabinho was considered, but a three-player rule. And this is probably going to hint at who I could choose next. But there are certain relationships in the team that meant it was always going to be Mascherano. OK, well, we'll get into the other two central midfield players then. Gorsty, again, you kick us off here, mate. Just name the two um, and the other two that you've got in the, the midfield three. Yeah, it's the best midfield in the world, isn't it? Uh, I was going to say that line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a reason that the, the cops hung up for so many years. So it's Mascherano, Xabi Alonso and Steven Gerrard, who are just the, the perfect blend of everything you'd want in the midfield. I don't need to add to that exactly what Gorsty said. And Matt, are you completing that or...? I, I've gone with Steven Gerrard and I've gone with Felipe Coutinho as well. Um, using up my Brazilian in the, in a sort of a number 10 role in a sort of 4-2-3-1. So, yeah, of course, you could have gone with, with all those players. But I just thought to get the, the best out of the goalkeeper, I thought I'd go with Pepe Reina. That meant I couldn't pick Alonso. So, yeah, Coutinho comes in. Yeah, I also had Reiner in my side. And because this is a fantasy side that's never actually going to play, get as many attacking players in there as possible. I've gone for <laughs> Gerard and Coutinho as well. Well, lads, we're now into the front three. We might as well all name them. And I imagine the way this is shaping up, we've probably got all the exact same forward three players. Theo, you can line up your three and we'll then all talk about them. Well, uh, Titi Kamara is the striker. <laughs> <laughs> Luis Suarez, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. 
Uh, you can't really think of, I don't think we've had any other Egyptians. Um, we won't speak about the other Senegalese players they've had. So Sadio Mane is the obvious one. And it's like, I think when we all choose our team, it's like, oh, Uruguayans, well, I'm not putting Coates in. Luis Suarez, Robin hands. <laughs> it's a mouthful in front three. Um, it'd be great to see them play. Sadly, it's just going to have to be a fantasy. But yeah, that, that completes the team. And obviously, we, we've seen Sadio Mane become an absolute phenomenon playing on the left-hand side. But I was looking through a few names. And one that did take my fancy, a player I did quite like from afar, was Patrick Berger. I, I wasn't going to choose him over Sadio Mane. But I did think he was probably worthy of a mention, Gorsty. Yeah, Berger was, was a fantastic player, wasn't he? He arrived after Euro 96, I think. Um, him and Carlo Poborski were the ones who kind of caught the eye for Czech Republic in Euro 96. And uh, he, was a, he was a very good player, I think. He was someone who, who struggled a little bit with injuries towards you know the, the, the latter part of his years at Liverpool. But um, during that, that late 90s period under Roy Evans, he, he, was, uh, he was excellent. He had, he had a fantastic left foot. I think we all remember that free kick at Old Trafford, don't we, in the green kit. Um, yeah, he, he was a very good player, but he, he was never going to get in ahead of Sadio Mane for me. No, and Matt, looking at that forward three, your mouth waters just even thinking of the prospect of it lining up together. Yeah, three brilliant players. I think, obviously, Mane and Salah were always going to be in the team. And then it was, for me, a choice between Suarez and Torres. And obviously, very, you know, very, very good players at, at their peaks. But having already used up my Spaniard elsewhere in the team, I, you know, it was a, an obvious choice in the end just by default. But yeah, three unbelievable players and three players that score huge volumes of goals as well. You've got goals all over the team. So, like, you know, you can't ask for much more than that. I did consider a couple of curveballs, which people won't have considered. So no, uh, I'm going to say as well. Yeah, I was going to say I was just <laughs> going to come in there and say, Theo, did you consider Ian Rush for your striker? And yeah, you confirm that you did. And um, John Barnes is technically Jamaican. He played for England, but he was born in Kingston. So I could have had a Jamaican John Barnes in there. Um, but these two players, they were great for Liverpool before the Premier League. So it depends how you want to choose your legendary status. Um, I think it will be true to Premier League and what we can actually remember. But obviously, Barnes and Russia, two of the greatest players to play for Liverpool Football Club. And Gorsty, we, we all obviously went with Steven Gerrard. I think he probably captains all of our sides. But were you at all tempted to even go for Robbie Fowler or even, like Theo says, with Ian Rush, say Michael Owen, actually, he was Welsh? <laughs> um, I think you know me, Guy. I think if I've got a chance to name Robbie Fowler, I'll, I'll always at least contemplate it. Um, but I have to give Gerard an order of a follow just because of the amount of other choices I had up front. I mean, you could have had Suarez. Um, sorry, I did have Suarez. You could have had Torres. Um, Michael Owen was another one. Um, so there are loads of people have been fortunate to have been blessed with some um, incredible strikers over the last 25 years or so. Um, I think Suarez, as an all-round player, is probably the best purely gifted footballer I've ever seen in a Liverpool shirt. Um, as much as I, I say Steven Gerrard is the best player, I think as an actual footballer, that would have to go to Suarez. Um, just an absolute phenomenon of, of a footballer. And uh, it was a shame to see him leaving in 2014. So he gets to Northern and Mo Salah's on the other side. And on that right-hand side, I suppose, Theo, if it hadn't been... For Virgil van Dijk coming along as a Dutchman playing for, for Liverpool, Dirk Kout probably would have tried to stake a claim somewhere, would he? He's a contender. He's more one where if you expand it a bit, you have him on the bench. Because as good as, say, like Suarez is the most gifted player, 
Cal didn't have that talent. It was just the ability and the work rate. Uh, you could always rely on him and so many big goals and so many big nights, like just listing off the Champions League ones now. Uh, I think he scored in pretty much every single round at some point in his Liverpool career. But you think of scored against Chelsea, scored against Inter Milan, he scored against Arsenal. He always just stood up when you needed him. Uh, he wasn't what probably there wasn't the player Liverpool fans thought they were signing or Rafa Benitez thought they were signing. Like considering he won the Golden Boot in Holland, expecting him to be this prolific striker that would see and say Van Nistelrooy do or Van Persie later on. But no, you can't take away what Dirk Pout did for Liverpool. Deserved more trophies, definitely. But he's one of these foreign players that Liverpool fans took to. A um, few ups and downs along the way, but he definitely won them over in the end and he was a great servant. The final one I've just realised we can go with, Matt, is we, we, we've we not got a manager for this team that would be of a different nationality. Theo's got Marcus Barbalin, but oh, I've got Diddy Haman actually, so I can't have Jurgen Klopp either. But is that an easy, straightforward one for you? Yeah, no German player in my team. So uh, I think Jurgen Klopp is, is going to have to walk in and, and manage this team. And, you know, an exciting prospect, I think. Not that we're ever going to see it happen. And Theo will have to settle for a man who delivered a treble in Gerard Houllier. Yeah, because I'm not going soon, us. Brendan Rodgers? You haven't got a Northern Irishman in there. Oh, true. Yeah, we haven't. Yeah, yeah, we'll go, we'll go for Gerard Hulier. He won a tr- few trophies. Yeah. Makes I'll... the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm going to go with Houllier as well. Gorsty, I take it you're with Klopp, are you? Yeah, um, if I didn't have Haman in, then I've got Klopp, so no question. Well, brilliant well, uh, stuff. You can have a word with you as well if you didn't choose him. Yeah. Jürgen might have a word if you didn't choose him. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Well, anyway, guys, really enjoyed doing that. That was something a bit different for us to do. Gorsty gave you your fix of picking a team on the Blood Red podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since we've had to pick a team, so it's good to, to scratch that itch, yeah. Maybe we can make that a regular theme. Yeah, we just have to try and work out different things and I can just try and crowbar different criteria to (laughs) mesh you all up at the last turn. But anyway, guys, thanks a lot for your time. And also thank you to you listening in as well. As always, really appreciate your company here on Blood Red. Also, just some quick news from us at Blood Red. You may have heard it at the uh, start. We've recently changed over where we're hosted to Global Player. So if you could download the Global Player app and listen to us through there, there's no difference if you listen on any other platform, just you'll get us first on that platform. But anyway, thanks from all of us here at Blood Red. Until next time, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.